Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to our listening audience on KFUO. And this morning, we're going to continue in Romans, and we're going to begin Chapter 8. We're going to be in Chapter 8 for a while because it's such a great chapter, and there is so much here for us to learn. So, we start verse 1. Now, no longer is there condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation here, of course, is the condemnation of the law, the condemnation of the final judgment, but also, as part of this, it includes the punishment that goes along with the condemnation. So there is now no condemnation and no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about that phrase, in Christ Jesus. It's very prevalent in Paul's writings. He uses prepositions to denote meaning. And so, when he says, in Christ Jesus, he is referring back to baptism. In Christ Jesus means you've been baptized into Christ. So those who have been baptized into Christ no longer have, are condemned by the law, by judgment, and they are not subject to the punishment of that condemnation. To be in Christ is to be, to belong to Christ, and to have the blessings that He won for you. So when you see the phrase, in Christ Jesus, in the Apostle Paul, always remember baptism. It is a, a pointing us that we are baptized into Christ. So if you are baptized into Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are no longer condemned and no longer subject to punishment. No longer subject to punishment. Now, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus freed you from the law of sin and death. All right, we need to talk about the use of the word law there. Because in the first part, you think the law is speaking of the gospel. And in the second part, the law is speaking of the law. But it's the same law. Here we go back to what we talked about some weeks ago when Paul uses the word law. 
And we talked about the fact that that usually is referring, it is referring to the Torah. Okay? And I reminded you that law is not a good translation of Torah. Because the Torah is referring to the first five books of Moses. And the first five books of Moses are not all law. They're filled with promises of God, the first promise being Genesis 3.15, that a descendant of Eve will bruise the head of Satan. That's the promise. And there are promises throughout the first five books of Moses. So, when we read this passage, the first part, when it refers to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's the gospel. That's the promises. The promises that are in the Word of God, in the Torah, in the law. And the law of, in other words, these promises of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus freed you from the law. Now this is the condemning law, the law of sin and death. So it's the same law, but we have to interpret it in the broad sense. Just like when you say Word of God. Well, is the gospel Word of God? Yes. Is the law Word of God? Yes. Some of these terms are used in the broad sense. Okay? And when we are talking about the law and the promises, we're talking about the law in the broad sense. Okay? And when it's in the narrow sense, it is the law of condemnation and it's negative the negative aspects of the Torah. The law of sin, it names sin for what it is, and death the result of that sin. All right? Everybody with me? He who hesitates is lost. So, all right. Now, let's go to verse 3. Four. What the law was unable to do because or in the weakness of the flesh, God has done in the sending of His own Son in the likeness of sinful, the sinful uh, flesh, and for sin, to condemn the sin 
in the flesh. Okay, we got a lot of flesh there. All right. It's very noteworthy that in chapter 8, Paul is doing a lot of things to refer back to what he said in previous chapters. So it's very interesting here. If we look back at the theme verse of Romans, chapter 116, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. What does it say here? The law is powerless. In one, we have the emphasis that it is um, powerless. The law is powerless, but the gospel is power. The gospel is power. Now, the law can give life if you keep it. Okay? If you keep it perfectly, the law can give life. But that's out for us. Not going to happen. Now, why is the law powerless? Is it powerless in and of itself? No. It's powerless in the flesh. What makes the law powerless is our sinful flesh because we can't keep it. It is impossible for us to keep it. Therefore, the power, uh, the law is powerless because we can't lead a holy life. The law is powerless when it operates in the realm of fallen humanity. When it operates in the realm of fallen humanity, it's powerless because we are, we render it powerless because we're so weak, we can't keep it. We can't keep it. So it's not that the law of God is powerless, but the law of God is powerless because of our sinful flesh. Now, here we get in to, uh, so God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, we have to be careful there. Paul's walking a tightrope there. Throughout Paul's letters, he uses different phrases like this one, to describe for us that Jesus was in the flesh. Um, and, and I'm going to read a couple of those because they're, um, they're important. Uh, first of all, he says it this way in the book of Philippians. Jesus Christ, who did not, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
Okay? Being born in the likeness of men. In Galatians, he says it another way. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the way he says it in Galatians. He was under the law. Then in 2 Corinthians, he says about Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin became sin. That's the way he says it there. Became sin. Uh, so what does all this... One more. Galatians uh, 3.13. Uh, 3.13, and it reads like this. Um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. All right. Good week to discuss this. What did Jesus Christ do? What's Paul trying to get at? Born in the likeness of sinful man. Born under the law. Became sin. Jesus Christ, to be our substitute, had, had to be like us. Had to be like us. For him to be like us, he had to be born like us. And we talked about this some weeks back. Uh, the fact is that when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, he separated her seed from sin so that Jesus Christ would be born true man without sin. Now, Mary didn't do that, and Mary's mother didn't do that. The Holy Spirit did that. So that Jesus Christ is totally human, but without sin. So he's like us. He's like us. But without sin. But on the cross of Calvary, as 2 Corinthians says, he who had no sin became sin. Now, this is implying to us so many times we say Jesus Christ carried our sins. No, Jesus Christ became our sins. It was as if Jesus Christ on that cross had committed personally every sin in the world. He took them totally upon himself. Totally and completely upon himself. So, 
Paul uses these different phrases. Now, the term under the law means he was, because he was a human being, he was subject to the law. The law would have condemned him if he had sinned. He did not. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, the condemnation of the law, by becoming a curse for us. By becoming a curse for us. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because God forsook him. Totally and completely. His own son. He took the curse we deserved of being abandoned by God. That's what hell is. No God. So, uh, Paul is trying to use human language in different ways to explain to us the work of Christ. The work of Christ. So God condemns our sin in the flesh, but He also redeems our flesh. Notice, he gave him for sin. Some translations go so far as to say for a sin offering that fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. Okay? The righteous requirement of the law. And this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus Christ did what no human being had ever done. He kept the law perfect. That had to be done to fulfill the righteous, just demands of God. He gave the law. Somebody has to keep the law. Jesus Christ did it. This we call his active obedience. His active obedience. He keeps the law in our behalf. He keeps it. What is his passive obedience? His passive obedience is he dies to pay for the times we didn't keep the law. Our sins. He died for the time we didn't keep the law. All right. Let's get back to... Okay, so then... We get to verse 4. In order that the righteous demand of the law is fulfilled, has been fulfilled in us, um, in you, who do not walk according to the flesh. Okay? 
but according to the Spirit. So the righteous demand of the law that fell on you has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. If you don't walk according to the flesh, that goes back to Romans 6, 4. What are we now to do? Walk in the newness of life? We don't walk in the flesh. We walk in the newness of life. Why do we walk in the newness of life? Because we were buried with Christ in baptism into his death. That just he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We're back to baptism. We're back to baptism. All right. Everybody still with me? All. Uh, we are talking about the law of God in the, in the pure word of God. We are not talking about the Jewish interpretation of the law. We're not talking about how the rabbis applied it. We're talking about the pure word of God. Nothing else. Now, when you get into the ceremonial law, no, he didn't keep it at times. But he told people to keep it. When the lepers came to him, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing. But he personally fulfilled the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law were the sacrifices, and they all pointed to Christ. Ultimately, he would fulfill uh, the demands of the ceremonial law himself. Those were put in place by God, but as a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. And when Christ came, those were all fulfilled. And that's what we're told um, in, in uh, 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 Galatians, uh, I mean Colossians. Let me see if I can find that quick. Uh, and it says just that. Uh, I think it's in two. Well, I'm not finding it real fast. So, at any way, in Colossians it says that they were a shadow. Okay, Christ is the substance. Okay. Ceremonial law was a shadow. Uh, Christ Himself was the substance. Okay, so. We're back in Romans, and we're to chapter 5. For those who are living or being according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, the things of the flesh. But those, according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, I want to make a, an important point here 
there is no third option. There is no third option. People love third options. So you, you talk to somebody, and the bottom line is, you're a Christian or you're not. There's no such thing as almost there. There's no such thing as exploring. You're a believer or you're not. You're of the flesh, thinking of things of the flesh, or you're a Christian, thinking of things of the Spirit. Problem is, you're doing both at the same time. You're both saint and sinner. But the fact is, if you were not a believer, you would not be thinking of the things of the Spirit. It would not be part of your mindset. But there is no third alternative. Another way to translate this, set your mind on, would be what you're occupied with. Are you occupied with the things of the flesh or are you occupied with the things of the spirit? It's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. Now, verse 6. The mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Now, this verse is going back to chapter 5, where we're called enemies of God, but we're also told we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, both. If we are occupied, if our way of thinking is um, with God, okay, then there's life and peace. If not, if we're occupied with the flesh, it's death. Now, this is continued in the next verse. But the mind of the flesh is hostility to God. The mind of the flesh is hostility to God. And that's why in Romans 5, we're called enemies of God. Enemies of God. So the mindset of the flesh, the way of thinking, the occupation with the flesh and the ways of the flesh are death, and hostility to God. But then there's it goes farther here. It basically then says that it is not able. This, this 
fleshly thinking, this mindset of the flesh, is not able to submit to the law of God. And then it says, for it's not able. It's not able. The word submit there uh, means to obey God. To obey God. The word submit in the scriptures is not a, a bad word. Okay, wives submit to your husbands. It's not a bad word because the word submit is based on love. Uh, Jesus, we're told that Jesus submitted to his parents. That's because he loved them and he wanted to obey them and God. Wives submit to their husbands because they love them. People submit to the law of God because they love God, because they're redeemed in Jesus Christ. But notice it says, it's not able. We, by nature, are not able to submit to the law of God. You can get up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to keep the law of God. What's going to happen? Then you're going to get out of bed. And it all starts. Okay? All starts. It's not going to happen. We are not able to submit. The flesh is incapable of submitting to God. Can't do it. Not going to do it. And then... Uh, verse 8. Those being in the flesh are not able to please God. Uh, Hebrews says the same thing. Without faith, you cannot please Him. Only through faith in Jesus Christ is anything acceptable to God. An unbeliever cannot do a good work. Now, they can do something in the world that we consider good in the civil realm. But the Lutheran confessions make it very clear that there's a difference between the civil realm and a person's actions in the civil realm. They can be a law-abiding citizen. They can obey the laws of the land and the spiritual realm. In the civil realm, a person is capable of doing things that are acceptable to the civil law. But in the spiritual realm, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing you do is acceptable to God. Nothing. And that's back to, there's only two options, believer or unbeliever. Well, you know, Mrs. Jones across the street makes such good pies for everybody. Well, yes, she does. And thank God for Mrs. Jones, but if Mrs. Jones doesn't believe in Jesus, it's not a good work in the eyes of God. Maybe in ours, but it's not a good work in the eyes of God. 
you are a believer in Christ or you are not. Okay? You're a believer in Christ or you are not. But... That's right. They have their reward. Have a good time. Now. <laughs> it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. Now. Verse 9. But you are not of the flesh, but the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if uh, someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, notice, th this is important here. There's lots of references to the Holy Trinity in this section of, of uh, chapter 8. And notice how in the same verse, it's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Okay? We confess that this morning at 8 o'clock in the Nicene Creed. Okay. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. There was a political war fought over that. In fact, their churches do not believe and confess that the Spirit is of the Father and the Son, only the Father. Called filioque. Okay? And the Nicene Creed upholds that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes from God and Christ. And it's right here in this verse. It's the same Spirit. It's not different spirits. But one is called the Spirit of God, and the other was called the Spirit of Christ, because the Holy Spirit proceeds from both Father and Son. So hidden away in here are all kinds of things. All kinds of things. All right, so... If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. How do you know you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? I'll give you an example. If you didn't have, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in Bible class. Something told you to come to Bible class today. Guess who that was? Even if you got up and said, I don't want to go, you came anyway, and guess who that was? Wasn't that old sinful flesh. The Spirit dwells in you. Okay? The Spirit dwells in you. All right, let's let's keep going here. Um, and, and try to 
get this. All right. Let me get back to where I was here. All right, then. Uh, Ten. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if Christ's in you, the body of sin is dead. Back to baptism. Back to baptism. You're in Christ. When he died, your sinful nature died. That's what it's saying. When he came to life, and the life is righteousness. Okay? Now, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. All right. Now, um, your bodies have been redeemed. Even though they're sinful, they've been redeemed. We believe and teach the resurrection of the body. We confess it every week. Even though that's where we feel like sin dwells, you know, the flesh, God is going to redeem that too. Okay? That's why we believe in the bodily resurrection. When Jesus Christ died on Easter, if he rose again from the dead only according to the Spirit, his body would have still been in the tomb. They both were gone. When he showed himself to his disciples, he let Thomas touch his wounds. His body was uh, part of salvation. He still has his human body today. And that's how he can give you his body and blood in the sacrament. But that's a whole nother lesson. And we're not going, we're not going to chase that rabbit right now. Okay? So... He will save your mortal body. All right, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay. Live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But notice it says, if you put to death the deeds of the body, by who? The Spirit. You can't do it. The only way you're going to uh, overcome the deeds of the body is by the Holy Spirit. Um, now, how does this work out in practice? 
I'm going to paint an analogy here. Say you were a, a servant of someone for years. And then you got a new life. But you still knew that person. And they were still around. And at times you were so dedicated to them, you'd still do what they wanted and not your new life. That's the analogy that's being drawn here. We were slaves of sin. When the new life came, we want to do that, but out of old habits, we still obey the old. We still fall into that. We still fall into it. Out of habit. That's being saint and sinner. But we're no longer enslaved to sin and under domination of sin and death by the law. We are now of grace, life, and peace. In other words, it's hard to, it's like this. We have one foot in this age and one foot in eternity at the same time. One foot in this age, one foot in eternity. This is what Galatians says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You want to do the things of the flesh, but the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other, and you're constantly in this battle. in this struggle. Now's the time for what you were going to say when we didn't have time last week. That's right. That's right. She said, uh, we don't want to be preoccupied with Satan and his ways. We don't want to be preoccupied, but we don't want to ignore it. It's the same way with the sinful flesh. We don't want to be preoccupied with it at all. But we can't ignore that it's still there. And, and she tried something. In some of the passages in Romans, read Satan when the word sin is used. See what happens. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Okay. We need to... Questions? Mark? Yes, the flesh is the old Adam. Uh, your mortal body was created by God good. It's a fabulous creation. 
but this old nature dwells there. Yeah. Don't equate. If you equate the flesh with the mortal body, then there's no reason to believe in the resurrection of the body because you're, you're, you're like Plato. Plato said the spirit's good, the body's bad. The body's going to be killed, gone. You can get rid of the body, you can get rid of the evil. Not true. Not true. Other questions? Right, right. I mean, uh, the power is not in saying, be gone sake. The power is in the spirit working in you. So when you feel tempted, the first thing you do, according to Scripture, is run from the temptation. It says flee. But, but, the Spirit is the one that's going to give you the strength to overcome it, not your own thought patterns or mortal nature. It takes the Holy Spirit to give you the power to overcome sin and temptation. Ruth, the armor of God in Ephesians. If you, if you look at the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the, the uh, helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. If you study that very carefully, every one of those refers to Christ. The armor of God is putting on Christ. The armor of God is putting on Christ. And when do you put on Christ? In baptism. In baptism. Galatians. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Okay? That's why the symbolism of the white baptismal gown. You're putting on Christ. Other things. Nothing? Well, let me remind you, no Bible class next week. If you come here at 9.30, it's church. It's Easter Sunday Livingstone service. And there's two in here next week. So... Uh, no Bible class next week. It will resume on the 11th of April. Okay? 11th of April. All right. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.